Get the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Welcome to Turning Point. It's Satan's oldest weapon and the one he uses most often. What can you do when he casts doubt about God? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the fourth piece of the armor in the Christian's arsenal, designed to shield you from those doubts and become a trusted tool to have with you at all times. From spiritual warfare, here's David to introduce his message, The Shield of Faith. You've probably seen pictures or movies that have captured uh, what the Roman shield looks like, what it looked like back then. Um, And one of the things that people don't know is that the enemy against Rome would often try to uh, shoot darts that had been set on fire. So they built their shields with a kind of cloth over it that had a a liquid kind of um, put out the fire. (laughs) And the Bible tells us that the enemy, who, who is Satan, shoots darts into our lives, and they're fiery. If you've never had one of those shot into your life, you don't want that. You don't have to ask for it. It comes automatically. But you need something to protect yourself from them. How do you keep them from burning your soul? We're going to talk about that today as we discuss the shield of faith. We're in verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 6. This series is called Spiritual Warfare. We have some resources to help you um, grow and learn about this. Uh, I'd like to tell you about the Warrior's Prayer, which has now um, been beautifully printed on the back of a, of a bookmark. And you can get this bookmark, the Warrior's Prayer, absolutely free. No cost, no obligation, no expectation. We just want to send it to you. That's it. We want as many people as possible to be praying this prayer for their own safety, especially during these days. We also have a gift book for the month of June. This book is available to you when you send a gift to Turning Point of any size during uh, this month. I've told you before, and I tell you again, this is one of the most important giving months of the year for Turning Point. Uh, We don't talk about it much during the rest of the year, but we're supported by our listeners who give what you can. You give your best gift, and God takes it and puts it with the other gifts. And in the process, we are on 3,000 radio stations in America teaching the Word of God every day. And all over the world and other places in Canada, in Australia, in New Zealand, uh, we're teaching the Word of God. And because we do that, God is honoring it. And because you help us, He's blessing you. So when you send your gift during the month of June, make sure you understand how important it is, and then be sure to ask for your copy of the Spiritual Warfare Question and Answer book. You'll love it, you'll use it, and you'll be blessed to share it with others. Right now, we need to get started with our first part of this discussion of the Shield of Faith. Turn in your Bibles to the sixth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. I want to read for you, just beginning at verse 13, the context of the armor 
Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. I came across the words of a pastor who said that he thought a lot of Christians would have been much happier if Paul had written these words instead of the words that he wrote. Lay back and relax with the belt of evasion buckled loosely around your waist, with the breastplate of defensiveness in place, and with your feet fitted with the pluralism that offends no one. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of grudges with which you can hold on tightly to hurts and to slights. Take the helmet of entitlement and the bludgeon of the flesh which is the word of anger, and air what's been done to you on all occasions with all kinds of criticisms and complaints." End of quote. Now he must have been having a bad day when he wrote that. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it, that this armor that God has given to us is such a positive thing, but it does not, in any sense of the word, deny the reality of life. If you study the history of the church, you will discover that the church was born in persecution and in martyrdom, in suffering and in imprisonment, in bloodshed and death. Our leader was executed, and all of his followers, with one exception, died a martyr's death. In the first centuries of its existence, the church suffered unspeakable persecution. I remember as a young boy having been given a copy of a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, I learned very quickly not to read that before I went to bed at night. It is a horrible rendition of the things that were done to the people of God because of their faith. So far we've examined the following pieces of armor that we're to wear in the midst of the war, the girdle of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of the gospel of peace. And we want to seek to understand the meaning of the shield of faith. Ephesians 6.16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. We learn that Satan's first work in his relationship with man is to create doubt about God himself. That is what he did in the Garden of Eden. As we shall see in a few moments, he's been repeating that with success from that day until this day, always causing people to doubt God. That is his purpose, and that is what he tries to do. The Bible says that the way we are to stand against this attack upon God and his promises in our own lives is we're to take the shield of faith. Once again, as we have learned, this is simply another way of expressing that we're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and allow him to be our defense. One of the verses I learned when I was growing up very early in my Christian life was Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul does not say, I live my life in the flesh, 
by my faith in the Son of God, then it would have been his faith in Christ that enabled him to say, I live my life in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God. No, no, it's not my faith. It is the faith that God gives me. Even my faith is a gift from God. Even my faith in Jesus Christ is my shield. Now, the Bible says that as we go through life as believers, we need to have that shield with us at all times, this shield of faith, because without it, we are very vulnerable. In the Psalms, We run into this concept of the shield. It's in many of our worship songs, if you listen carefully. Psalm 1830 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Psalm 28.7 says, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. And there are many other references to the shield of God in the Psalms. So let's talk for just a moment about what that means to us today. What does it mean to take the shield of faith? First of all, notice the priority of it. I don't know if you've noticed it in your scripture, but it says, and above all, take the shield of faith. Faith is the key to all spiritual armor. The shield of faith, the Bible tells us, is given to us to deflect the darts of the wicked one before they reach our heart. All of the parts of the armor by themselves will never be able to protect the soldier in battle without the shield. He is very vulnerable. Let me illustrate what I mean. Do you remember Ahab in the Old Testament? Ahab who went out to do battle against the Assyrians and was protected by body armor? And he went out to battle, and the scripture says that as the battle raged, there was a man who took a bow, and he drew it back at venture, and that means he wasn't shooting at anything. He just let it go into the air. And the Bible says that the arrow entered the joints of Ahab's armor and pierced his heart, and his blood ran out into the chariot, and he died. Ahab had armor, but he didn't have a shield. So the arrow went in between the pieces of his armor and killed him. Satan knows what armor we have, and he knows where the empty places are between the pieces of armor and without the shield of faith, which is wielded by the soldier himself so that he can hold it against the enemy, Satan can move in a direction and ultimately take us out. The Christian soldier will be in trouble without the shield of faith. So the Bible says, above all, above all, don't forget the shield, it is a priority. Not only is it a priority, but let's notice the purpose of the shield. Notice that the purpose of the shield of faith is here clearly spoken about. Paul says specifically that the purpose of the shield is to quench the fiery darts from Satan. The reference to fiery darts could mean either one of two things. Sometimes soldiers in ancient times would dip the tips of their darts or their arrows into a solution of lethal poison. And if those darts only gently penetrated the skin of the enemy, the poison would spread through the bloodstream, producing a swift and painful death. On other occasions, soldiers would dip their darts into pitch and light them on fire before shooting them into the enemy camp. Then the arrows would ignite anything that was flammable. So the Romans came up with this plan to cover their shields with animal skins soaked in water so when the fiery darts hit the shield, they would be extinguished. When the arrows rained down on them, the shields would quench the fire. New Testament scholar Peter O'Brien helps us to understand what this means. He said the burning arrows depict every kind of attack launched by the devil and his hosts against the people of God. 
They are as wide-ranging as the insidious wiles that promote them and include not only every kind of temptation to ungodly behavior, every kind of doubt, and every kind of despair, but also external assaults like persecution and false teaching. So I would suggest to you that most of the darts that Satan has in his quiver are fire-tipped. They're hellish balls of fire. They have but one purpose, and that's to produce the stress of mind and depression of spirit and disappointment in relationships in your work or in yourself. Long after those arrows have been felt in their initial attack, their sting can linger on. Stu Weber notes that the shields were carried in such a way that they were packed tightly together, virtually interlocking into a large complex of shields. Here's what he wrote. He said, do you see the critical point here? This is the shield of faith, which by design is interlocked with the soldier next to you. This is the shield of faith utilized in community, the community of faith. I would say in small groups, we are linking our shields together to protect ourselves from the enemy. In our spiritual battle, as is true in any combat environment, there is no room for lone rangers. If you expect to be protected, you've got to stick with the group, march with the unit, and live like a family, end of quote. So you get this picture of these shields locked together and of God's people coming together in the church and in small groups to withstand the enemy and to help one another. And and we sometimes say, watch one another's back so that we can be prepared to do the battle against the enemy. That's the priority of the shield and the purpose of it. Notice what the potential of it is. The Bible says, with this shield, you will be able to quench most of the darts of the wicked one. No, it doesn't say that. The scripture says, with which you will be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked one. The word all means all. The Bible promises us that this shield is sufficient so that no matter what kind of attack we are under, the evil one comes with his best shot But God gives us a means to repel his attack through the shield of faith. Ken Hughes says it's no exaggeration to say that during earthly life, multiple thousands of deadly blazing arrows are launched at the Christian warrior by demons and by demon-oppressed culture. But the answer is faith. The apostle John wrote these words. He said, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 4. Why? Because faith binds us in vital deep union with God. And faith is not just belief. It is belief plus trust. It is resting in the person of God and in his word to us. And I'll give you an illustration of what that means in just a moment. So we have the priority of the shield of faith. Above all, take the shield of faith. We have the purpose of it, which is to ward off Satan's attacks upon us and the potential of it which says if we take this shield of faith it will ward off all of the darts of the evil one now let's talk about the protection of it the protection of the shield of faith how does the shield of faith protect us let's talk for a moment about what kind of darts satan most often uses so how would you know that well there's a law of bible study which is called the law of first reference And that law says that wherever you find in the Bible, the first time something happens, it usually is definitive as to how it is to be applied other times. 
So let's go back and see if we can figure out what Satan's up to by looking at his first involvement with humanity. And where would we find that? All the way back in the book of Genesis in the temptation of Adam and Eve. And here in this first encounter of Satan with the human being, he throws his first dart at Eve, and his first dart is doubt. You've got to say that carefully. His first dart is doubt. (laughs) Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said... You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. What is Satan doing? He's shooting a dart into Eve's heart to question the integrity of God. In Genesis 3, 2, and 4, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. The devil now chooses an even more powerful dart. He follows up the dart of doubt with the dart of denial. He now doesn't come right out in the beginning and deny God. No, he waits until he has softened you up with the first dart. Then he comes with the second one, and he sows the seed of denial. Then he shoots the final dart, which is the dart of deception. Notice verse 5 of Genesis 3 said, God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The favorite and most often used tool of Satan is the attack of doubt in the life of the believer. That is why you deal with doubt by the shield of faith. Sometimes we do have doubts. Oftentimes those doubts come from the enemy. He lodges them within our heart to upset us and make us wonder if whether or not our faith is really founded on a solid foundation. So watch this. If Satan's number one attack is doubt, then certainly the shield of faith must be what we use against it. What Satan does to the believer is constantly cast doubt at the very core of his experience in Christ. And without the shield of faith, you are victimized by his every attempt. Now, let me show you how this works in a famous chapter in the New Testament. And I'm going to kind of go through this and just kind of ad-lib a little bit with you and help you to see what I mean. All of you know that Hebrews chapter 11 is the famous chapter in the Bible because it chronicles the names of the people in the Old Testament who distinguished themselves by the obedience of faith. By that I mean they expressed faith where it was hard to express faith. And they got their names in the hall of faith because in light of everything else that was going on around them, they stood upon the promises of God and they did what God told them to do. And the Bible says, because of their faith, God honored them. Here are some of the key people of the Old Testament who experienced great faith. They were all men and women of like passion as we are. And they are distinguished because they used the shield of faith to ward off the darts of the evil one. Let's talk about some of these people for a moment. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 7, we read about Noah. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of the households. Now, why did he do that? Why did Noah do what he did? Because God told him to do it. And he did it because in the obedience of faith, he was expressing his confidence in God. 
But I cannot imagine the abuse that that man took. Go back with me to that experience and realize they were in the wilderness and Noah was building a boat in the desert. Not only that, he's building away at this big boat and there has never been anything like rain before. And God says, build this big boat because we're going to put all the animals in it. We're going to put two of every species and then you and your family will go in. And when the door's shut, I'm going to send this barrage of water down here and the whole earth is going to be flooded. Now, what if God said something like that to you? You say, well, it's all right for him to say it, but it becomes real when you're out in the boat with your hammer and nails building a big wood structure in the middle of the desert that makes absolutely no sense to anybody. And can you imagine the abuse he had? Noah, what are you doing? You're building a what? A boat? And it's going to rain? Why are you doing it? God told me so. What is the dart? The doubt cast into the mind of Noah about the reality of God's promise. You can be sure that it happened. In fact, that's the whole issue through the rest of the chapter. Think about verse 8 where we read about Abraham. The Bible says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram, where are you going? I don't know. Well, if you don't know where you're going, why are you going? God told me to. God told you to go somewhere and he didn't tell you where? Right? Dart? (laughs) Casting doubt in the mind of the person of faith. Or try verse 11. By faith, Sarah received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah, what are you doing? I'm getting ready to fix up the nursery. The what? The nursery. Sarah, honey, you're 90 years old. 90-year-old women don't have babies. Dart. But God promised Sarah that she was going to have a baby. So she took the shield of faith and she repelled the dart and she fixed up the nursery. Keep reading. I skipped over some of these, but look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Where are you going, Abraham? (laughs) Up the mountain. What are you going up there for? To kill Isaac? You're going to do what? You're going to kill Isaac? Wait a minute, Abraham. God told you that in Isaac all of your promises are going to be realized, and now you're going to go up the mountain and kill him? Yeah. Well, why are you doing that, Abraham? You must have missed something. God did not say that. You misunderstood God. He could not have meant what you think he said. Dart. The Bible says Abraham went up that mountain because he believed God. If you read the story carefully, discover that he had such an intense faith in God that the only way he could rationalize God's two promises, his two commands, was to recognize that if God was going to kill Isaac, then he must certainly be going to raise him up again from the dead. Keep reading. Verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses 
you have now come of age and you have to make a choice. You can stay here in the palace and be my son and rule and reign in this lavish kingdom and never have a need go unmet in your life. And Moses said, no, I am a Jew. I am a Hebrew. I would rather be with my people. God has a plan for me. I'm going to identify myself with my people. Amen. Amen. Shield of faith. More tomorrow on this particular subject. And as I mentioned to you earlier, on Thursday and Friday, we're going to talk about the helmet of salvation. The Spiritual Warfare series comes with some resources to help you uh, internalize this information and make it really important. As you know, uh, we have a magazine that's published every month. It goes into thousands of homes. Last time I heard, it was being read by 450,000 people across the nation around the world. It also has an electronic version that downloads the uh, devotional content into anyone's mailbox who asks for it. So during this time when we're talking about spiritual warfare, I hope you're getting the magazine and can read the ancillary articles. And uh, also want to remind you, there's a wonderful book available for a gift of any size during this month. Be sure and ask for your copy when you send your gift today. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's current teaching series, Spiritual Warfare, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's timely book, Answers to Questions About Spiritual Warfare. It's filled with strategies for fighting the forces of evil, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Spiritual Warfare, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Everyone knows of the contributions of Thomas Edison. His many inventions were groundbreaking in their day and revolutionized modern life. But what was it about Edison that caused him to be so inventive? Well, perhaps these words of his reveal the reason. Restlessness and discontent, he said, are the first necessities of progress. 
I believe there is a healthy version of spiritual restlessness and discontent that can lead us to greater progress in our relationship with God and our relationships with others. If you are not content with your spiritual life, that realization can be the first step on the road to progress. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to make progress with God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.